you would literally see these Johns come in and pay their tab and take this girl. And it's like, you wanted to scream like she's 13, like she's 13. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there who would like the opportunity to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us if you feel like you have a story. Uh, go to OPLshow.com or send us an email at OPLpodcast at gmail.com. And we want to give a quick shout out to all our patrons who are supporting us over at Patreon.com slash OPLshow, where you get weekly behind-the-scenes episodes, access to our Discord. Uh, we talk to previous guests and have some bonus episodes that never appear on this main channel. So you can go check that out at Patreon.com slash OPLshow. And today we are speaking with a woman who trained in anti-sex trafficking, who actually ended up going over to Thailand to work undercover in order to rescue underage kids from sex trafficking. So first of all, wow. Uh, second of all, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm really excited. Yeah, so are we. Uh, I feel like this is one of those stories that's going to take us on a journey around the world, actually. So very curious, uh, you know, how, how do you get into this? What exactly is... Uh, you know, anti-sex trafficking and, and how did you find yourself involved? Yeah, of course. So it actually started when I went, to, I was in university and I had gone to university to work with rehabilitation of child soldiers. That was kind of a goal of mine. And as I was researching, I started to come across this topic of sex trafficking and I wasn't educated on it at all. But as my research got into it, I realized that this was something I really wanted to focus on. So I actually, I had to do a co-op for my university and I went to the professors and I said, you know, this is what I want to do for my co-op. Um, is there any opportunities out there? And they were, you know, like, we've never had someone ask about this before. I'm not sure we can set something up. And so I kept working with them and they just didn't have the connections yet uh, in that field to send me there. So I knew that I still wanted to pursue something in this, some sort of volunteering, anything like that. And through a series of connections, I actually ended up speaking to a friend and she's like, well, I heard about this, uh, it was a ministry at the time um, in Vegas that works with uh, anti-sex trafficking. So I researched it and I reached out to them. And then through a series of connections, they said, come down, you know, train with us, but it will be volunteering. And so that meant like I had to pay my way. And I was a broke university student, I had no money. And so I ended up rallying in my hometown just to try to raise the funds to get me to go there. I did a lot of awareness events and I ended up raising about $10,000 um, in the span of like a week. And the town really like came behind me and supported me. And so with that being said, I ended up going down to Vegas and we basically I would live there for six months and we lived in a compound actually. Uh, that was in one of the more dangerous neighborhoods in Vegas. And that's where we trained. It was all, it was a compound that was sectioned off with barbed wire and everything. And we were, you know, surrounded by sex workers and shelters. And we would do kind of like street outreach at the same time. <clears throat> and then, yeah, we trained and partnered with law enforcement in the area, um, churches, shelters, women's um, groups. And Basically, for a few months, it was just constant everyday training. Monday to Friday, it was uh, we'd have speakers come in, and we really 
dove deep into the topic of sex trafficking. And then for two of those months, they sent us overseas to Thailand, where I spent a month in Bangkok and then a month in Chiang Mai. And uh, that's where we worked with getting the kids out of um, the sex trade. And yeah, so that was kind of the background to it. So, you know, you say you're doing training. What exactly are you learning? So we were learning about basically what sex trafficking looked like. Um, It was... It varies. Uh, it's very different. It was how to work with victims, what to expect, um, what the reality is in Thailand versus um, half of our group actually went, ended up going to Nepal and India um, to do outreach there. And so, and we had speakers coming in to just, you know, how to work with even, and I'm going to use terminology that I'll explain. So work with the Johns, who were the Uh, men who are purchasing sex and so we actually focus on that as well how to you know deal with the johns and how to um, approach them and it was a lot of preparation for what we were to expect and yeah so it was it, it was basically just diving into the topic and we were learning about it on an international scale it was how it looked like from country to country um because it is such a complex topic yeah, totally. And I know it's like, it's always considered an invisible crime in a way, right? Like I know, like the Jeffrey Epstein case definitely brought it to light in terms of kind of like an underage prostitution ring. I know it's super or, or most widespread in Asia, I think South America, I read. But I guess just in general, like, how would you describe, you know, sex trafficking, child prostitution? Like, what are uh you know some of the things involved in in how these children kind of get into this yeah of course so it actually varies um from country to country culture to culture um i can speak to canada and the states so um what we experienced when we were working in vegas was we worked with um families whose daughters were being trafficked through high schools And we actually see that now. I work with a victim service organization um, up in Canada, and we work with a lot of high school students as well. And how that looks like is um, a lot of, you know, boyfriends in high school are manipulating, you know, their girlfriends and saying, you know, babe, if you love me, you know, you're going to go sleep with so-and-so and and we're going to make like a hundred bucks off of it. You know, babe, if you love me, you know, you're going to go you know, give a blowjob to this guy for 50 bucks and we're going to make killing off this. And that's a lot of what we were dealing with in Vegas. A lot of what we're, you know, I deal with in Canada as well nowadays. In high school? Yeah, in high school. It's very, it's very common. It's more common than people believe. Also, girls um, will basically traffic other girls. Like, they'll take advantage of them and prostitute them out into the high schools. Those are cases that we're dealing with nowadays. So it looks very different um, depending on the situation. It's also a lot of foreign workers coming over, answering, you know, an ad online. They come over here, their passport gets taken, um, their IDs get taken, and then they're forced into the sex trade. And, uh, you know, it could also be, you know, people, they always say to me, like, taken you know that's what sex trafficking is um being kidnapped off the street it happens but it's not as common as a lot of the other methods that are used um when so in thailand specifically we worked a lot with kids who were uh i call it the loan shark method when i'm doing guest lectures and everything where traffickers will go into really poor communities 
and they will give uh, a certain amount of money. They'll, they'll go to a family and say, hey, I'll give you this loan so you can build a bigger, you know, house or uh, buy, you know, whatever you need. But in exchange, I would like your daughter to come to the city and work for me in a restaurant. And that's how they would sell it off. And so, you know, the daughter would agree because she wants to help her family out. And then the trafficker would take the daughter to the city, force her into the sex trade. And because there's such a culture of shame, like you don't want to bring dishonor to your family, especially over in Asia, the daughter wouldn't reach out for help. Um, she wouldn't reach out back to her family and say, this is what happened to me. I got forced into the sex trade or anything like that. And so she would be stuck um, working in the sex trade and being trafficked. And I'm talking about like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old girls that we worked with. And so that was a huge method that we worked, uh, that we were seeing over in Thailand was a lot of girls who were brought from the villages in Cambodia, Northern Thailand, the slums in Thailand. Uh, yeah, so it varies. And I could sit here for five hours and tell you about all the methods that are used, but it's a very, very complex topic. So, uh, Do you find that it is more common in those Asian countries because of the reason you just said? Um, I would say, yeah, I would say it's definitely more common. Thailand was... Um, the hub they were they actually the complications that we had because people are like well why wouldn't you just go to the police why wouldn't you you know all of that and it's like the police were corrupt you know the government turned a blind eye to it because sex tourism tourism dollars were actually their biggest source of income you know it wasn't just the tourist industry it wasn't just you know the parties on the beaches or anything like that it was sex tourism and so they turned a blind eye to it because they were making so much money off of it well, it's it's known for that too, right? Like Bangkok, Thailand, but but it's not legal there. No, it's the prostitution isn't legal, but it's like it's common essentially, and no one's really doing anything about it. Yeah, exactly. That's that was so pretty much it. If the if the police are corrupt, then how did you guys kind of strategize to, you know, kind of infiltrate this whole thing? Yeah, of course. So in Bangkok, um, we actually, we would go into the red light district and we would work more with the Johns. So we were, it was actually shocking how easy it was to have conversations with the men who were purchasing sex. Uh, we would just go in every night into the bars, you know, sit at the bars, strike up conversation with these men, you know, and it was, it was very complex. I mean, some men didn't want anything to do with us and didn't want to talk to us. And then some guys, I mean, I'm sure alcohol, you know, helped the matter um, of them opening up. But, you know, we would talk to them. We'd say, you know, oh, like, what are you doing here? Like, blah, blah, blah. You know, they'd make jokes about how they were purchasing a girl for the night. And then it's like, oh, you know, like, do you know that a lot of these girls are underage? Ah, no, she said she was 18. And it's like, well, no, like, a lot of these girls are 13, 14. And we start kind of, you know, having an educated moment with them. Um, some of the guys were very receptive to it. They would be like, Hey, I don't want to really, you know, get involved in this. And some guys would be like, nah, like she said, she's 18. Like I'm going to believe her. Uh, yeah. So that was kind of our focus in Bangkok was working more with the Johns. Um, and then in Chiang Mai, we ended up going up and, uh, going undercover as English teachers. And the way that the Chiang Mai um, red light district was set up was it was a series of bars um, along kind of this row and the traffickers were actually the bar owners 
And how that would work is um, the girls would be waitresses, so to speak, and they'd be working in the bars at night. And then the men would come in, you know, they'd purchase their beer, and then they would want to purchase one of the girls for the evening. And so they would get a receipt at the end of the night. We actually saw these receipts. And it would say, like, you know, a certain amount for the beer that you ordered and then a certain amount for the girl. And so these girls were put on the receipts at the end of the night. The guys paid their tabs and they brought the girls back with them. And then the girls would return the next day, so to speak. So what we did was we went in undercover as American English teachers and we offered to teach English to these girls. And, you know, everybody, every bar owner jumped on the chance. Every trafficker jumped on the chance because most of the girls' clientele are English speakers. And so they were just like, yeah, like teach our girls English, like we're going to be able to do their job better. And we actually got requests right away to be like, can you teach the girls how to say, you know, ass, vagina, like breast, penis, like sex, intercourse, like everything. And we were just like, no, 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 like we're going to teach them like one, two, three, you know, blue, red, green. Like we were just like, we're not going to go into that. And so for the first little bit, we would go during the daytime and we would sit down with the girls, teach them English. And then we started to kind of build up this trust with them. So at first, like the traffickers would sit with us and watch us, like every little thing we were doing. Then as time went on, they would go back into the bars, like do their you know, mm -hmm. duties and everything while we would sit with the girls and kind of leave us alone. And then as we kind of gain this like friendship with the girls, we would start to talk to them like, oh, like where are you actually from? How old are you actually? And a lot of them were 13, 14, 15. Um, their stories were that, you know, they were brought from a village in Cambodia or Burma. And um, they were kind of the situation that I explained before, that their parents didn't know that they were there and what they were doing. Um, and yeah, so then what we would do is we would offer them an opportunity to connect with the NGOs that we were working with. And the NGOs... Um, would basically offer them an alternative source of income. So they would actually work in legitimate cafes and restaurants, uh, get room and board, and they would be able to get out of the sex trade. Um, and they would also kind of get that protection and everything and just kind of get that fresh start. So that's pretty much, we were like the short-term connection um, between them and these NGOs. So that's, yeah. Is there, is there a reason why you can't just come out and say to them, like, hey, we're going to try and get you out of this? Like, do they, you know, I mean, they're, they're, it seems like they're very young. Do they know, like, what's kind of going? Because it sounds like you have to almost guide them to a, a different life. You can't just, like, pull them out. Yeah. A lot of it was um, just gaining their trust and just you know, really explaining to them that there were other options. Uh, we didn't want to come at it too strong that they would get freaked out and maybe, you know, tell the traffickers and let them know what we were doing. So it was really just, we would start off by um, just getting to know them. And then once we got the impression that we kind of had their trust, it was like, hey, this is what we're actually doing. Uh, the option is there for you. You know, you can you don't come with us and like you meet the NGO contacts that we have and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it was just a matter of, we just didn't want to go into headstrong and then have the risk of potentially exposing what the organization was doing 
if we like freaked out a girl and seemed like we were coming in too strong so yeah now were were they receptive to this because i would imagine that there's obvious dangers like if they get caught maybe talking to an ngo or trying to get out of this life i mean these traffickers essentially in their minds like own these girls right i would imagine that it's not necessarily safe for them to just say like hey not coming into work today yeah so we actually did have some pushback from a couple girls um they some just said like they weren't interested they wouldn't give us a reason and we weren't going to push them um some girls said like they were just scared of being found out we would try to reassure them you know that we'd give them the connections that they would be able to leave but they just said you know they didn't want to risk it and uh but we had like you know a lot of girls who were receptive um we i think in about four weeks we ended up getting five girls out of the sex trade um and you know it just i was surprised at how they did listen but we did understand that there was going to be some girls who were just too scared and we had to accept that we you know realized very quickly that you know we couldn't go in and rescue everyone so what was the plan for if this went bad and and you know someone told the traffickers what was going on like was there a plan for that kind of reaction yeah so the ngo had their own plan in terms of just like pulling out of you know the certain bars and just um like cutting off those connections so to speak uh we had more of a plan where um if we were suspicious that you know a trafficker kind of knew what we were doing that we would just hold off on trying to you know gain that connection with the girl and possibly pull back a little bit just for our own safety because we had to keep that into consideration as well and um we would just basically the ngo said like you know if if there is the chance that you may be found out and there is any sort of danger like you guys will be pulled out of you know basically the project completely so we anticipated that although it didn't happen Jeez. that's uh, that's it's insane how young they are and just forced into this life essentially um I, I I'd never heard anything like that. Like it's, it's just crazy to think their families gave them away in a sense, obviously unknowingly. And now they're just kind of trapped in, in this life that, you know, luckily you're there to try to help some escape, but wow. Um, for you, like personally, you know, to be in a position like that where, you know, you're essentially saving lives, uh, which is incredible. And it's incredible that you volunteered for that also. Um, but, you know, when you're in that position there, like, is it fulfilling to you or is it frustrating? Because like you just said, like you, you can't save them all, but I imagine you do want to save them all. Like even hearing this, it's like, you just want to like scream and like tell them like the path is, is right here. Like just, just walk this way and we can get you out of this. But obviously not all of them are going to do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we had to learn very quickly to um, just understand that it's a long-term game and it takes a lot of patience um, that we couldn't go in there and just like save everyone right off the bat. Um, I ended up, uh, there was one point where I did feel like, I don't know if I can do this and it was pretty tough for me. Um, I was working with this girl who I had become pretty close with. She was about 14 years old. And so after we would teach English during the days, we would go back into the red light districts at night and we would kind of just be a presence. Um, so the girls would see us, run up to us, hug us. We would sit with them. Um, unfortunately, we would also have to sit with some of the Johns and 
uh, just kind of talk to them, just be there, you know? And we, I went in one night and I went up to the bar where one of the girls was working and I said, oh, where is she? And they said, oh, she's up there. And they pointed to like almost this two-story warehouse, so to speak. And I said, oh, okay, like I'm thinking it was like a bar, um, another bar. I just said, you know, can I go up there? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, like go up, go up. So I asked my friend um, to come with me. And so him and I went up, like it was kind of these warehouse stairs externally leading up to a door on the second floor. And I remember walking up and I opened the door expecting it to be just a bar or a club. And uh, when I opened the door, there was actually this big stage where there was just a row of girls um, and I saw her up there and they all had numbers actually hung around their necks and it was actually an auction house. So along the bottom of the stage were all these men who were, you know, putting in their auction bids for these girls. And I remember seeing her on stage and I was like devastated. I wanted to like Liam Neeson that shit so bad. <laughs> I was ready to going guns blazing. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I need to go get her. I need to pull all these girls off stage. Um, and I knew I couldn't because the, if we had even like exposed any of that, it could ruin the NGOs like whole operation. And I turned around and walked out and I just kind of broke down and I said to my friend, like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I just don't know if I can do this. And, you know, he talked me through it and he said, you know, you're passionate about this, like keep pushing through. And I said, yeah, you know, like somebody has to do it. And, you know, that was, <clears throat> that was a turning point for me. Like, you know, it was like, I'm not invincible. Um, you know, I'm just human like everyone else, but it was hard. Um, you know, sometimes it was really frustrating when you would you would literally see these Johns come in and pay their tab and take this girl. And it's like you wanted to scream like she's 13, like she's 13. And yeah, it was there was a lot of moments like that. And it was it was difficult. Do you, Is there a lot of uh, you may have answered this before, but you're seeing like a lot of American like men over there. Yeah. This? Yeah, so the majority of the population that we uh, dealt with in terms of the Johns were, it was a lot of, um, I mean, the demographic was old white men, you know, and um, a lot of them were American, Canadian, Australian, um, European, such as like German, um, Austrian. So, yeah, that was largely the demographic we were dealing with in terms of that. And I'm, I'm confused also if like prostitution is like illegal, why would this be on a receipt yeah, it was, um, so it wasn't necessarily um, label like girl, you know, so yeah. on and so forth. It would just be like um, a mystery charge. Yeah, it was like, I think one of the receipts we saw was the Thai word for like entertainment. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It, it was like that type of thing. It's like, Joe, when you go to a strip club and like you use their ATM, it comes up as like an Italian restaurant the next yeah, day yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like Roberto's have, Steakhouse. Yeah, yeah, they they have their ways. Um, were you know, were you ever afraid or or fearful in this position? You know, for yourself of like physical harm or anything? Yeah, so um, we had to use a lot of street smarts, and um, so it, we had a lot of rules. Like one one person could never go off by themselves. Uh, we always had to be within eyeshot of each other um, when we were in the red light districts. We So we played a lot by those rules and that really helped us. There was only one time that I actually was fearful. Um, and 
<clears throat> we were teaching English during the day, and this um, there was about five of so myself and four of my colleagues, and we were all sitting at the table with about three of the girls, and all of a sudden, this girl runs up and she's like, "Help me! Help me! He's gonna hurt me and my baby!" And we we're like, "What are you talking about?" And um, luckily, we had our translator with us, and she ends up sitting with the girl and. She turns to us and she's like, it looks like her trafficker, who is the father of her child, has threatened to kill her and her baby because he's, like, angry at her. And so she asked to sit with us. And we said, yeah, of course, like, sit with us. We looked around. We didn't see him. Um, so we just had her sit with us as we continued to teach. And then um, we said, like, do you need us to call anyone? Do you need help? You know, or, like, is there anyone we can call? And she said, no, 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 just let me sit. Let me sit. So we let her sit with us. And then... All of a sudden, we um, turn around and we see two men like walking up the road, and you know they're staring at us. They're staring at her, and we just had this feeling like that's him. That's got to be him. And I could tell by the language that they were speaking; it was uh, like an Eastern European language, so it almost sounded like a Ukrainian. Um, so they come over and they're staring at us the whole time, and they sit down at the table like near us and order a beer, and they're just watching us. And we all get a little bit uneasy at that point. And he looks over at us and he goes, who are you? You know, and we just said, oh, we're English teachers from America. And he said, well, what are you doing here? And we just said, well, we're teaching girls English. Why? You know, it's like, oh, it's part of our internship. You know, where are you from? It's like Vegas. And, you know, it was just kind of, we were trying to just, like, pretend like we didn't actually know what the situation was. We were trying to be really naive we were pretty much like trying to act really naive and <clears throat> he kept questioning and his questions started getting more aggressive more aggressive and he's like well where are you staying we're like oh the university dorms what dorms and it's like well why does that matter and then he started getting angry and he was just like just tell me like just tell me and suddenly you know we were all looking at each other and we're like we have to get out of here like we have to get out of here like this is not going to we don't know if this guy's armed we don't know you know what this guy has the potential to do because we know he's a trafficker we know he's already threatened to kill this lady. So we, one of the girls got up and she's like, okay, like we have to leave now. And he's like, well, she's not going with you. And it sucked because we looked at like the woman who came and asked us for help and she was sitting there and the look of defeat on her face, like I'll never forget it. She just was like, it's okay, go. Because she knew the position we were in and we had to walk away and it was really hard. But luckily, um, we found out later she ended up making a connection with one of the people who worked at the NGO. So we knew that nothing like she wasn't killed or anything. Um, but yeah, we had, we turned and walked away. They didn't follow us, but he watched us the whole time, like leave. And then we kind of dipped into the markets and we kind of, you know, lost sight of them and everything. But that was probably the only moment where I was like, yeah, this is not a good situation. Like we need to get out of here. So, yeah. Yeah. And like, when you think of, that type of like the the type of person it i mean that's evil like it's it's evil like you're sitting across from an evil person they are they have made their business trafficking humans and not just humans underage girls selling them for sex like that, that's not a person with any morals that's terrifying jeez oh, wow you did mention something too um in the email without going into it um you i saw a mention of ping pong shows and i've heard that before with like like in Thailand specifically, what what is that and how does that kind of like fit into, I, I guess, the whole sex trafficking aspect? Mm -hmm. So some of the girls that we worked with, so when 
you know, and if anyone who's listening may have gone to Thailand, there's these people in the street who have these like menus and they're usually shouting like, come to a ping pong show, come to a ping pong show. And they'll come up and they'll approach tourists and everything and they'll give you a menu. And on that menu is a list of miscellaneous objects such as, you know, a snake or a ping pong or, you know, firework or, you know, a knife. And then it has a certain price beside it. And so what that actually is, is the, you know, tourists will go into this like small room with a big stage in the middle and the girl will come out and whatever the person chooses off the menu, she actually has to stick up inside her vagina. And so these shows are unfortunately pretty popular in Thailand. And I just want to bring attention to the fact that a lot of these girls are forced into it. And actually they get harmed quite a lot because of what they're forcing inside of them. And a lot of these girls are underage. They're 13, 14, 15. So I really wanted to bring attention to those because it is a popular thing that gets sold in Thailand. And, you know, people might go over there and be like, haha, like we're going to look at this, like, you know, messed up show. Like, you know, it's going to be just one of those things that we're doing in Thailand. Um, but there's just like such a darkness to it. And I just, yeah, I really want to bring attention to that. Dude, so, I mean, they market that, not I mean, market, but like they're like selling it to people as a ping pong show. But like, are people do they know what they're getting into before they get in there? Yeah. Oh yeah. People know that it's a, it's a sex show. Like people know that it's like sex entertainment and it's like, yeah, I do want to see a girl stick a firecracker, you know, up her vagina or, you know, I do want to see a girl try to force a snake up her vagina. Unfortunately, those are the fetishes that people will pay for. And they just think it's just that one crazy thing. But you know, it's like they're, it's like going to a strip club for them. Right. But the girl is usually not willing She's usually underage and a lot of harm can come to her because of what she's forced to stick up there. So, yeah. My God. Wow. That, uh, it's a crazy environment. And, and how long were you over there? Um, so I was over there for two months, one month in Bangkok and one month in Chiang Mai. Wow. Is this something that you still do or do you plan on, on doing again? Yeah. So um, when I came back, I actually was like, how can I, you know, help out in Canada? And so I ended up um, establishing kind of an education program where I went and spoke to high schools and um, universities and colleges. <clears throat> and then past that point, I got involved with a victim service organization where we work with human trafficking victims, um, usually when the police do their big busts um, in hotels or anything that they call us and then we'll come and provide resources and everything to help get the girls out. So that's actually what I do for volunteering. Um, and then in my job, it does, I work in the, I work for a bank, but we actually deal with uh, the missing person files. So police will send us like these missing people who are like vulnerable and everything and say, like, ask us to track their bank accounts. And so, you know, and a lot of those victims end up being human trafficking victims. Um, and so, you know, it's weird how it's like crossed, you know, into every aspect of my life still. So it's definitely something that I'm really passionate about. I was going to say that it sounds like this is something that you plan on making a part of your life and your passion and something that's going to kind of stick with you for the rest of time. And I think that's super admirable, especially because in the beginning you were saying like, you know, you're, you're volunteering to do these things, put yourself into compromising situations that are 
not only dangerous, but tough to deal with mentally when you have to kind of go over it over and over again and kind of live through it. I mean, you're sitting next to these, these girls and talking to them and seeing that they're, you know, 13 years old and, you know, maybe they understand that they're in a bad situation, but they don't understand like the severity of like their, their situation. So I, I can only imagine what that does to someone mentally. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I think that, you know, it's a, it, it, there's the world's a better place because of people like you that are willing to, you know, take the time to do what's right. So, no, oh, thank you. you I know. appreciate it. Yeah. I had a mentor, um, just say something to me that really stuck with me all these years later. And he said, you know, once you have knowledge about a thing that, you know, not a lot of people know about, you're now held accountable to it and it's your responsibility to go out there and teach others. And so I pretty much held on to that. And, you know, that's why I take opportunities like this to be able to discuss what the reality is of human trafficking. And yeah, it's just, it's really been a force for me, I guess, throughout my life. Yeah, that it's incredible. And like you said, it's just, sharing the reality of it because it's just something that it just still exists in the shadows and it's so hard for the average person's mind to just like believe that this happens to be honest you know I I know we've kind of touched on it Um, we had a popular episode about a woman who was sort of groomed into child pornography uh, even through family members which is disgusting but uh, you know it's it's just that reality that these things happen and it's you know not it's not just in movies it's not something that happens occasionally this is something that's happening all the time Uh, I saw a stat that there's probably as many as 10 million uh, children involved in prostitution, you know, worldwide, whether they've been manipulated, kidnapped, uh, like whatever the case may be. So, you know, just, I guess, raising, raising that awareness and, you know, especially this case is interesting because, you know, anything I've ever heard about Thailand and ping pong shows and like people are going there to experience those things specifically. And, uh, you know, just even if one person hears this, that's like, oh, okay, if, I'm, if I ever find myself in this position, like these are underage girls who are forced into this position. There's no enjoyment here. This isn't a job that they want to be in. And I guess just kind of raising as much as awareness as possible uh, can can only help. But yeah, thank you so, so much for, you know, just sharing this experience and, and for the ongoing work that, you know, you keep doing. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Any chance I get, like I said, to bring awareness to it. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just a matter of, you know, I do want to draw attention to if people ever go to those countries for vacations and everything that, you know, they do understand that there's just a darker world, you know, lying underneath that and just knowing kind of having that extra awareness of what to say no to, um, we even worked with uh, kids who were over there. They were in the red light districts. They were selling flowers. Um, so you'd see the kids running up to you and saying, would you like to buy a rose? Um, and we, those kids were actually forced into labor trafficking. So these were kids who were same situation. They were you know, kidnapped or they were you know, taken from the slums. And there's a trafficker who gives them a dozen roses every night. And they have to sell it to tourists in the red light districts. Um, And if they don't sell the dozen roses, they get in trouble or they get punished. And so we did work with these kids as well. Um, So we saw the aspect of labor trafficking. And these kids were eight. Um, They were some of the youngest kids we worked with. 
And uh, so, you know, just drawing attention to that too. Like when you see the kids running up and down trying to sell you things, like, you know, they're some of the time they're just not doing that willingly. And uh, one night I had to, we wanted to take these kids out to just, you know, give them a night where they had to be kids. And so we want to take them out to a movie and take them out for food and ice cream. And uh, I ended up having to buy the whole stupid bouquet of roses. And I felt like just, I've never hated roses so much at that point. I was like staring at these stupid flowers, just going like, you know, I had to buy these in order to just spend time with these kids and let them just have a night of freedom. And, you know, it just, it's just drawing attention to like little things like that too. It's just such a complex issue. Is there anywhere that our listeners can go to to get more information and just kind of read up or educate themselves on this topic? Or volunteer even. Or volunteer. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it all depends on, like, what country you're from and what, you know, organizations are in your area. Um, usually what I say, like, up in Canada, um, you know, every sort of region has, like, a victim service organization. Uh, we have a human trafficking hotline that you can volunteer with, some crisis lines you can deal with, um, women's shelters, if you want to participate in women's shelters. Um, some women in there are, you know, sex trafficking victims, um, victims of, you know, sexual assaults, um, all of that. So, uh, you know, to look up those opportunities in the area. The the one thing I can give credit to, to the states for is um, they have a lot more resources than Canada does. Canada is still, like, a little bit behind. Um, in establishing those resources. So uh, the states has a lot of NGOs and everything. It's just a matter of um, just researching what's in your community. And uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, shelters overseas who offer volunteer programs, um, a lot of orphanages for sex trafficking victims where you can go and, you know, spend a few weeks there. And uh, yeah, it's, um, there's a ton of research online. It's just a matter of you know, really understanding what you're looking for. Um, the one thing I can encourage people is just to not take the movie like Taken as, you know, the only education that you have on the topic is just to really like dive past that because that's what people thought sex trafficking was, was just what was on the movie Taken. Um, and that's just a small portion of what it actually can be, so. Well, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing all that info. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, and if anyone has, you know, any questions or they want resources or advice or anything, uh, they can send me an email um, at Sadie, S-A-D-I-E, W-Q at gmail.com um, or on Instagram at S-A-D-I-E-W-Q. And uh, I help people find resources all the time and everything. So feel free to reach out to me on there. So Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Take care, guys. We all love shopping online and we definitely all wish that we had promo codes whenever we did shop online. And thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is a free browser extension. It scours the internet for promo codes and it applies the best ones that it finds to your cart. And Honey supports over 30,000 popular online stores. So the way it works is you find what you wanna buy when you check out, the Honey button drops down. All you have to do is, a, is click Apply Coupons. It takes a few seconds. Honey searches for any coupon that it could find. If it finds a working one, boom, the price drops right away. And me personally, I, I use Honey all the time. It's in my browser extension. So every time I shop, it looks for coupons. Uh, and 
finds really good ones and recently the most recent purchase with honey uh i go through running shoes a lot because i just always destroy them uh i was on nike and i saved 27 dollars uh on sneakers that otherwise would have been full price thanks to honey literally just finding the coupon for me within seconds and honey has found over 17 million members over two billion dollars in savings so if you don't already have honey uh you're straight up just missing out on savings. These are free savings that you're gonna get. And Honey is free. It installs in seconds in your browser. It costs absolutely nothing to use Honey. So why would you miss out on savings? And by getting it, uh, you'll be doing yourself a solid. You'll be supporting our podcast, which is awesome. And you can get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash OPL. That's joinhoney.com slash OPL. Literally, it's free and it saves you money. Go check it out and support the show. I didn't want to bring it up talking to her in the show, but I was in Singapore years ago and I was like at this club at night and a bunch of girls came out with literal exactly what she said, like on a stage with numbers like across them. And I was like naive at that point, just like what is like a dance contest about to start or something? Like I had no <laughs> idea because I left shortly after and like they were still on the stage. Um, but the, I was when she said that, I was like, oh my God. And prostitution actually is legal in Singapore, but just to now think back at that memory and see that and again- How old were you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, 20 something, 20, I don't know, 26, 27 or something. Damn, I just had crazy. no idea. Like, yeah, I, I just, I was even thoughts. thinking about it. I was even thinking about it too, because when she was mentioning that, um, the ping pong shows or whatever, uh, there's a, there's a club that I went to in New York. Um, and they have like these variety shows. It's nothing like that graphic that she's describing, but I remember like seeing like just, a bunch of ridiculous things they're known for like ridiculous like whatever uh and they're all like adults and it's not one of these places but whatever it's like a famous club but anyway i was just thinking about like i left that place being like oh man that was awesome because it was so weird and it was so like out there and now i'm just imagining like not knowing what i know about the ping pong show or whatever and being like i like like, like just, if we went to Thailand and had a good time and left the show and like, that was the craziest thing we've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, like, oh my drunk. God, that was wild. And like, what was going on? And it was, and then like, it would be almost funny or something because you assume that this person is not only of age, but is up there because like they're, you know, doing it because yeah. they want to well, do it. Like they perfected their, their craft or something. Right. Yeah. Or something. Like you see someone like throwing axes at like the, the, the woman up against the you know board or whatever the fuck you ever see those shows or whatever the fuck yeah, and you're yeah. like all right yeah this this kind of thing but yeah i'm just like thinking about it now i'm like jesus like this is just wild like how you know I, and i i feel like i mean i like to think of myself as like a pretty informed person and to not ever hear about these things or not even kind of think about about the the possibility you just kind of assume that everything is going how it's supposed to be going you know what i mean because it is technically by design they've they've made it that way it's right you know it's forcing the girls look happy say you're 18 smile here's the menu everyone wants to be here this is a great time everyone's happy like it 
it's sad because it just, it works. The way they market it, the way they promote it, the way they've designed this operation works. Meanwhile, it's like a sinister underground crime organization of underage girls who are forced to, I mean, it's, it's, in, it's insane to think about the reality. And you know, this guest lived, she lived that reality. Like there's no, there's no denying that <laughs> this, this is what happens. And it happens, like we said, globally, it, it happens all the time. And it's crazy. It's just that like that underbelly exists, like that yeah. rotten core. And it's like, it's just crazy to kind of go about your day and, you know, never have that be a thought, but yet it's so prevalent, you know, over 10 yeah. million children around the world and it happening constantly happening right now, new people getting into it, people that can't get out. I mean, man, it's, it's fucking, it's sick. It's really sick. And I, you know, just to, you know, look at the, positive side if you can of this is that you know thank god there are people out there like her who are willing to volunteer go all the, and like pay their way through this training um and make a difference in the world because you know it's four weeks five people and you might think five people like whatever it's like you've saved technically five lives of these are these are five lives that no longer have to be basically tortured you know what i mean and and, and treated like property or trash or something you know what i mean it's it's a it's just a wild concept and i think that i i when i hear stories like this it just makes me feel like i live in this bubble because i can't even like i can't even bring myself to feel the severity of it like it almost doesn't seem real to me because i've never uh experienced it or like had heard of it or like no, it's happened somewhere that i'm you know wherever i'm sure it happens everywhere but i just i'm not aware of it and it's it's just a crazy thing to kind of hear and to see, you know, like if, if you're these people and you know what's going on and then you're, you walk into that place and you see all these girls on the stage with numbers on them, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what year is it? What is going, like, this is just, how is this happening? You know, like, I, I can't imagine what that does to you mentally. And then also have to turn your back on it, to walk away. You have to walk away from this. You have to walk away from a stage full of girls that you know what's about to happen. You have to walk away from that. It's 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 a tough fucking deal. And to sign right. up for that and, and to like ded basically dedicate your life to that, it's extremely like admirable and thank God for those people. Yeah, no, because it's like you have to convince people with your words, you know? Like you gotta have like finesse and try to make this happen. Like she said, like I would love to just Liam Neeson it and you know, run on stage and save her, but it's just it's not possible not, not in her position at least people yeah I, I do i like what she said about taking like not being how it always works but i i almost do want to watch that movie again just to see some sex traffickers get demolished by yeah. liam neeson i but i do think that that movie like that situations probably do happen there's probably I mean, not one sure. guy that's taken out a whole fucking you know industry or whatever the fuck he does he's blowing up boats and shit but uh <laughs> I, I think that, you know, there's these just like the sick part of the world where it's these people who are just like extremely wealthy and they have girls delivered like fucking packages and shit. You know what I mean? It's just, it almost makes you feel like, like, how could you, how could you get to that point? How could you feel like this is fine? Like, how do you sleep? Well. knowing that <laughs> I, i'm not even gonna try it there I that's know. what i'm saying it's, like i'm not even gonna try and like dive into that but it's just it's it's just a wild 
concept to like get to that point. Like I don't, I, I, maybe I, I'm just like an optim, like a, I'm an optimist, and I think that like that is not innate. Like something has to happen to you for that to, for you to get to that point. Possibly, but yeah, like you said, it's like even thinking about it now. Like like you said, it's hard to imagine the severity. It's like your mind hits a wall because it's like re- like what? Like really, this is happening? Yeah, right now? like like. But it does, and like it's like she kept saying, it's complex. It's complex. Like this isn't an issue that just gets solved in one way or solved quickly. But like, you know, awareness is key. The reality of it is key, and you know, people people in her position volunteering helping law enforcement like just all all the ways to to try to stifle this and stop it from occurring yeah. um, but really really sad reality to learn about um, but you know really great guest to at least shine a positive light and and give some hope and like you said just a reminder that there are people out there willing to dedicate their lives to causes like this so yeah at least there's that that positivity yeah. Uh, like I said earlier in, in this show, uh, if anyone out there has a story or, you know, wants a, an opportunity to be on the show, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Go to OPLshow.com or send us an email at OPLpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, but yeah, reach out. And if we think it, uh, you know, will fit well, we'll definitely hit you up. Yes, follow us on Instagram at OPL Podcast. If you are listening on audio, leave a rating and review. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel if you haven't. And uh, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash OPL show. Uh, the patron community is growing. You get a bunch of bonus episodes weekly behind the scenes. We'll get guests like potentially today's guest into our Discord so that you guys can ask our questions. Bunch of great stuff for just uh, $5 a month. So check that out. Thanks to all the patrons. And thank you guys for watching and listening. Yep. See you guys next time.